Thank you. Um, as you can see from the, the layout, we are into our summer madness version of church, where there are different options for engaging with the ideas we are sharing as we go through. And I'll explain that as we go along. Uh, but just join in in whatever way feels comfortable for you. We are here to worship God. And we are all ages, we are different people with different inclinations of how best that is done. But I hope that you will enjoy your time with us this morning and find something to take away with you. We're going to begin by singing a very well-known, very well-loved old psalm. All people that on earth do dwell. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we sing. going to join now in prayer and I will lead us in a short guided prayer and then we will be invited to share in the Lord's Prayer together and as is our practice here you are free to say that in your own first language and whichever version you know best and if we've got trespasses and sins and debts all merging into one that's absolutely fine Um, if you're not sure of the words there will be a version on the screen behind me So let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. 
welcoming God. Thank you that we have been able to come together in this place to worship you. Thank you for the vision of those who left the security of a familiar church to found this one when this area lay right at the edge of the city. Thank you for the faithful witness of the countless people who've come here week by week to praise and to pray and to listen for your voice. Thank you for the openness to new forms of mission and ministry that have been expressed in this place through the years. Thank you for each person who's come here today, regular attender or one-time visitor. We pray that as we meet, we would experience afresh the warmth of your love, the gracious liberation from our faults and failings, the gift of forgiveness, and the promise of life. As we consciously endeavour to enter your presence, we find that you're already here, glimpsed in the faces of those around us, heard in the words of stories and songs, known in the community of faith gathered in Christ's name. God within us, God around us, God beyond us. As your people together, we join our hearts, minds and voices in the prayer that Jesus gave his friends as we pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. I wonder if anybody likes obstacle courses. Anybody done an obstacle race or an obstacle course at school ever? Mm, few people have, yeah. Oh, a few of the grown-ups have, so we might even get them to join in. I thought it would be good if we had a little bit of an obstacle course today. I've got it partly set up, but I just need to finish off because I couldn't do it until everybody was in and sat down. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to get in and sit down without doing the obstacle course and they might not like me very much if that was the case so I'm just going to oops sorry try not to hurt anybody's toes too much I'll try not to hurt them at all but uh, not too much if any and I would really like some volunteers to come and um, do my obstacle course in a minute Uh, it has been tested Um, Joan and Margaret will bear witness to the fact that I have been on the floor doing obstacles this morning. Anybody prepared to come and have a go at my obstacles? Freya, thank you. Anybody else? Sarah? Anyone else want to have a go? Okay. Well, maybe they'll want to have a go when they've seen you do it. So if you want to come round here, girls. <laughs> Okie kokie. So, 
I think I might just move that one this way a bit. So the idea is that you go over, 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 open the gate, and go through the tunnel. I have been through the tunnel. It is possible for an adult to do it, but when I've got a microphone on, probably not the best idea. Um, so who would like to go first? Freya, will you go first? See how she gets on. Okay, and Sarah, you can start following on if you, if you like when you're ready. Oops. Well done, Sarah. It's all right. Oh, it can be done. Even I can do it, so it can be done. Well done, Freya. Uh, can you do it? Well done, Freya. Sarah, can you do it? Bonnie, do you want to have a go? No? Okay. Right, how was that? Was it okay? It was okay. Well done. Right, do you want to go? Oh, is Bonnie going to have a go? Can you have a go? No? Okay, do you want to go back? And we're going to have another go in a minute. Do you want to go back round? So we're going to have another go at it. Are you going to come and do it again? Thank you. I need somebody to do it again. Right, who would like to wear the rucksack and who would like to carry the box? Which would you like to do? You'll have the box and you'll have the rucksack. Okay. So, same thing, over, 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 and through the tunnel. And you mustn't let go of the box and you mustn't take the rucksack off. Sarah, you go first this time. harder this time I think but she's getting there you can see a box you can see a head welcome Sarah okay Freya she's got that look on her face hasn't she she got that look that says I've probably been set up here Can you do it? No. no. Okay, thank you, Freya. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that. But if you took the box sack off, you'd be fine. Thank you, Sarah. That's lovely. Brilliant. So why am I getting you to do that? Why am I being so mean? Especially to... I'll just take these, uh, these barricades out of the way, otherwise it's going to cause an accident, and we really don't want to do that. Sometimes... We have obstacles to face in our lives, and it can be okay. We can get through them if it's just us and we've got nothing to weigh us down. But if we've got to carry something with us, or if we are carrying something with us, it can get a lot more difficult. Sometimes the only way you can complete the course is to lay down the things that you're carrying. I'm going to be picking up on that in a bit, little while. But first, we're going to sing a song. Um, it's a, a very old song. I don't actually know it, but the words seem to fit pretty well with where we're going today. Oh, precious words that Jesus said. The soul that comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out, whoever they may be. Mm-hmm. 
So it's me again, the author of the gospel that you know as Matthew, talking about some more of those short sayings that I pulled together in what you know as the Sermon on the Mount. I expect you've heard many times the words that I said about wide and narrow gates. Um, are we picking up at all, Paul? I've tried both. Are, we, are you getting me? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry about that. I couldn't hear it. It's okay. So you've heard many times the words I said about wide and narrow gates. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's really amazing how people can take just a few words like that and build a whole theology on them without actually stopping to think what I did write. I wonder if you've seen pictures like this one. It's frankly awful. There is no other way to describe it. And pictures like this are usually in books and tracts aimed at children, for goodness sake. Two roads, equally smooth, one wide and one narrow, with a cross on the corner. And the wide one leads into a huge pit of fire, and the people just walk blindly into it. I mean, as if anybody would do that. As if you wouldn't see where you were going and stop. And the others go off on a narrow path, and it's going off to some light, some imagined utopia. Is that really what the words say? Is that what they're about? You see, I'm, I'm not so sure that that's right at all. Have you ever stopped to think about what the saying doesn't say, tell you about the gates? It doesn't say where they were, and it doesn't tell you much about the paths either. It just says that one gate is wide and one road is narrow. One road is easy and one road is hard. But where are these roads located? Here's another way to think about it. Somebody once said that the will of God is broad like a meadow. This picture is one that I found when I was trying to see what you get if you get the narrow gate and the narrow road. Well, I think that's quite a wide gate, but the road or the path is narrow. But look either side of it. A lovely field that you can explore. So the road takes you off on your journey, but gives you space to go exploring along the way. That seems a better way to think about the will of God, somewhere that we can explore and come back to the path. But that's still quite an easy path, isn't it? What about the gates, though? Here's a narrow gate. Here's a gate or a stile in a, in a walk through the countryside. And it is quite tight. If you were going to get through that gate as a hiker with a big rucksack on, frankly, you'd have as many problems as Freya did when she was doing the obstacle course. You'd find it quite difficult to get through. 
And maybe that's the point about the narrow gate. Maybe the point about the narrow gate is you have to lay things down to go through it. What if we were to imagine ourselves as travelling a road carrying burdens that we've picked up in the journey of life? The burden of regret or anger or bitterness. The burden of wealth or success or possessions. Huge back boxes and bags that weigh us down and slow our progress. And sometimes when we come to a gate, well, what are we going to do with all these things that we are carrying? Perhaps the wide gate allows us to carry all these things with us, and it's not that we will fall inevitably into a pit of fire, but actually we exhaust ourselves, we wear ourselves out, we destroy ourselves by what we're carrying Sometimes even the very things we thought would make us happy are the things that weigh us down and hold us back. But what if we go through that narrow gate? What if we put these things down and go into that beautiful field or that lovely meadow and explore what God has for us to explore? To travel light to have new adventures, to climb new heights, to see what there is just around the corner. We might not always be able to see the path. I don't know if any of you are hill walkers, but when I walk hills, sometimes I haven't got a clue where the path is. And actually, the only way to be sure is to go back to the last gate and look again. But perhaps it's not about destruction that is inevitable because of the rope we choose. Perhaps the choice isn't about heaven or hell. Perhaps the choice is about what we carry with us and how that affects us on the journey that we travel. We're going to go on excuse me, exploring that idea and other ideas as we continue our exploration of the I am sayings of Jesus. So we've got some zones if you would like to move around. If you want to stay and listen, then just stay where you are. That is absolutely fine. If you're feeling creative, we have some craft type stuff up on the mezzanine. Um, Emma's not with us today, so it's all kind of self-guided, which makes it more fun, I think, and more potential for doing your own thing. So if you're feeling creative up there, you can still listen. Um, If you would like to colour or do quizzes, we have those at the back in the the snug. Um, If you want to play, we have some jigsaws and some Lego and stuff through in the memorial room if you want to do that. Uh, There'll be some music as we move around. We'll spend some time exploring in our own way, and then we will all return together for the end of the service. John 10, verses 2 to 10. The man who goes in through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. 
The sheep hear his voice as he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow someone else. Instead, they will run away from such a person because they do not know his voice. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he meant. So Jesus said again, I'm telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All others who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever comes in by me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill and destroy. I have come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Bread of life and light of the world, I am, sayings of Jesus are challenging to reflect on because everybody knows them and they're really overworked. Then the gate for the sheep saying is difficult because it's hardly ever considered and it doesn't even arise independently. It's totally linked with the Good Shepherd, which we'll look at next week. And just like the other sayings, the writer of the Gospel has carefully selected his material to fit with the trajectory of his account. These two sayings, the gate and the shepherd, are recorded as arising around the time of the Feast of Dedication. This is a winter festival that takes place roughly around November, December time, depends how the calendar works that year. And we would know it perhaps better by its name of Hanukkah. Perhaps what we're less familiar with is that in Jesus' day, it was a relatively new festival. It had only been celebrated for 100, 150 years, something like that. Because it was begun to celebrate the reconsecration of the temple after the devastation wrought by Antiochus Epiphanes. I just like saying that because it's just such a weird name. But it's a festival of light, if you like, marked close to the winter solstice. So why is that? of any significance for our image of the sheepfold and the gate or the door, whichever it's called. I think it's because in the winter, the sheep would be brought into the sheepfold for safety and security, rather than being out on the hills in the fields, which they would do in the summer. Perhaps you already know this, but it's worth reminding ourselves, is that the sheepfolds didn't tend to be owned by one person. They were shared So different shepherds would come along with their flocks and bring them into the sheepfold and there the sheep could mingle together 
in safety. They would be safe from the wolves and other predators and hopefully from being stolen. And hopefully, as well, the shepherds could go away and get a bit of a rest, leaving the sheep safe in the sheepfold. There's a lot of speculation about whether the gate or the door was a physical barrier or whether actually one of the shepherds or a couple of the shepherds would sleep across the entranceway to keep the sheep safe. I'm not sure it matters too much in one sense, which is correct. Either way, the sheep were left entrusted to those who would watch over them as the gatekeeper and the shepherds could go away. Perhaps what's helpful is to realise that one of the ways we could understand the metaphor of Jesus as the gate is to see him as a barrier or a, a crossing place between two distinct words. Sometimes, and I've heard this many times down the years, the way we use that image is unhelpful. Sometimes Jesus as a gate has been likened to a turnstile that only goes one way. A bit like the one that lose at Queen Street Station. You put in the right amount of money and you can get in. You show the right identification and you can get through. Only the right people can get through, nobody else, everybody else is denied. That's one way that metaphor has been used. Or sometimes it's used like this, and I've heard heard preachers talk about it. It's a bit like the passport control gate or the customs gate, where you come up and some very scary official checks your papers and the doors open and you can sort of glimpse through the doors the way to wherever you're going and somebody goes through and they close. No entry without the right papers. And then these metaphors, these ways of understanding Jesus as the gate, are put as a very specific way of understanding salvation. Basically, Jesus is not only a barrier, but he's a gatekeeper. His role is to prevent anybody coming into heaven without the right credentials, whatever that might mean, and to make sure that those who come in are in. Once you're in, you can't get out again. But that's nothing like the metaphor that Jesus used. We didn't have turnstiles back then. We didn't have these airport gates. And it very clearly says in the text that this gate allows two-way movement, in and out, both for the sheep and for those who tend them. And I think sometimes in Christianity we've lost that. We've got so busy trying to make it fit a particular understanding of salvation that we've missed what the text actually says. This metaphor doesn't see the sheepfold as a permanent dwelling place for the sheep. It's a temporary shelter, a place where they can safely be left on a winter's night and the shepherd can come back knowing next day that they'll be okay. It is entirely feasible that the shepherd's would just have some downtime. Of course, there would be a gatekeeper, quite possibly sitting in that gap in the wall to make sure that if there was a wolf, it was chased off, or if any sheep rustlers appeared, they could be fended off. But the gate itself isn't a barrier. 
It's a transition point, a threshold, if you like. Movement can and will go in both directions. And movement in both directions is completely normal for both a sheep and a shepherd. That's very different from the way that I've heard that image used down the years in churches. But why would Jesus decide, define himself as being like that? Why would he say, basically, I am the transition point between a place of shelter and the real world? Why would he say, I'm the place that's like a sheepfold, and you come in and out of that to go to the pasture in the hills? Perhaps we need to remind ourselves, and this is really obvious, but I had to remind myself of it, the sheepfold doesn't exist in splendid isolation. It's not at the end of a road with nowhere else to go. It's right in the middle of everyday life, just as this church is in the middle of a literal context. Of course there are walls around the sheepfold to keep the predators out. And yes, it's likely to be in a fairly sheltered area, But all that separates the sheepfold from what's going on around it is a gap in the wall, a doorway. It's more like a boffy, if you like, or a bunkhouse, a place you just go and have a rest on your journey and then you carry on. I did find myself thinking of a saying that's often used in Christian circles, and I thought, well, perhaps I can borrow that. The idea that it's in the world, but not of it. The sheepfold is a place that's in the heart of everyday life, but in some way allows us to step out of everyday life precisely in order to go back into it. So if we accept that metaphor, if you think there's any mileage in this idea, how do we understand it or apply it? Perhaps we can read it personally, individually, that somehow Jesus is a gateway between the rough and tumble of our everyday lived experience and our own inner world of of reflection, refreshment and renewal. Perhaps we can see it as suggesting that our lives of worship, prayer, study are not an escape from reality, but a quieter place within reality. We may choose to step aside, as we sometimes say, to enter that quieter place to rest, reflect, to be renewed, but only for one purpose, which is to go back out and get on with everyday life. Whether it's the rhythm of daily prayer or Bible reading, whether it's journaling, whether it's studying theology, going on retreats, or all sorts of other things, We can choose deliberately the Jesus gate and enter, at least metaphorically, into an overtly spiritual, God-centred sphere. And maybe some of us, and I would count myself in that, do well to be reminded of that. Because life can be so busy, so hectic, and frankly, if you listen to the news, so overwhelming that we need space to step back, to reflect, to be renewed, to be restored, to go out and face it again. 
Perhaps we could read it as relating to the life of the church. That our gathering together on a Sunday for worship, time is spent in a physical place where we intentionally cross a threshold, stepping out of the everyday into a more quieter, reflective state of mind, deliberately seeking to encounter God, to listen for God's voice in and through each other, as well as through scripture and song. It's quite deliberate that we leave the door open. I can look out, you can't because you're facing the other way, but I can look out and see the sights and sounds of everyday life. But we are away from it just for a while. For some people, this is your regular sheepfold, if you like. This is the place you come week in, week out to try to encounter God in a special way, to share with other people who are living by the same story. But every week we have visitors, and it's wonderful to have visitors, people who've just popped in. And part of the amazing mystery of all of that is that for this time, in this place, among us, we create a sacred space. We encounter something of God together. And we can carry that, because it's small, back out through the door to wherever we go next. So we can read that metaphor individually, and we can read it as a church. I think, though, also perhaps we can read it missionally. Especially if we try to hold together the twin metaphors of Jesus as a gateway or a doorway, and the church as the body of Christ. Maybe it suggests that together and individually, we can be that transition point for other people. Not a kind of hardline evangelism that seeks to get people in and bar the door against a hostile world, as if somehow this is okay and that's all bad. Not that at all, but rather an open door that says, come in, come and rest a while, come and find some refreshment for your own journey. A kind of mission that is firmly rooted in our faith in Christ and is a confident faith that will leave the door open. Doesn't need to shut it to keep people safe. We trust that going in and coming out is part of it. I haven't fully worked out what that looks like. I only had the idea this week. But it does seem to fit in with the strapline of this church, which I first encountered over seven years ago now. Opening doors, opening minds, opening hearts. We are the doorway for others. This is a place where people may come in and go out and find refreshment. And of course it's very easy for me to say that on a Sunday, isn't it? I can stand at the front and just say it, but uh, what about tomorrow when we all go out? I wonder if the interpretive reading of Matthew's wide and narrow gates is helpful. Because I wonder what I'm carrying, deliberately or undeliberately, that might help my ability to go through that narrow gate that leads to rest and refreshment in life. 
And if I'm hampered, how can I then help others to come through? What is it that I'm clinging on to and refusing to let go? What are we, individually or collectively, clinging on to that hampers us? At a church level, as well as at an individual level, doesn't matter whether things are good or bad. They could be good, but they could still hamper our ability to move forward. What weighs us down? What causes us to stumble? What might we need to set down to be the community God longs for us to be? To fulfill the mission that God imagines for us. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. May we individually and collectively find welcome, acceptance, rest, refreshment and renewal as we set down the burdens we are carrying. Tentatively cross that threshold and experience the endless love of God revealed to us in Christ. And in the world of which we are part, where there is so much darkness and despair, where if I started to list off the names of all the places, we would be here for a very long time. Can we also be open to showing others the way to the sheepfold, where God's grace, mercy, forgiveness and redemption are freely offered for all. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice which is more than liberty.
our prayers this morning. I decided to use a number of images from throughout the world this week. Of the experiences that many different human beings have gone through and one cat. And I would like to pray with our eyes open this morning, looking at these images and letting these images speak to us. Some of them may not speak to you. Others may speak to you very deeply. And I'd suggest that we just let our minds go and think what prayers we would wish to engage with, with God as we see these images. The whole thing lasts just under three minutes. At the end, I'm going to read a few brief uh, readings and quotes to draw our thoughts together. So let us pray. And so this morning, reflecting on this incredible diversity of human experience in these past few days, and in our prayers for others, what can we say? This morning, here in this place, and in this moment, we reflect on the burdens that we as individuals have, and that humanity has. We want to lay them down. We want to cross the Jesus threshold. Rebecca Solnit, the historian and activist, writes about hope. And she says, Hope locates itself in the premise that we don't know what will happen and that the spaciousness of uncertainty is the room to act. When we recognize uncertainty, we recognize that we may be able to influence the outcomes. You alone, or you in concert with a few dozen, or with several million. Hope is an embrace of the unknown and the unknowable, an alternative to the certainty of both optimists and pessimists. Optimists think that all will be fine without our involvement. Pessimists adopt the opposite position. Both excuse themselves from acting. Hope is the belief that what we do matters, even though how and when it may matter, who and what it may impact, are not things that we can know beforehand. We may not, in fact, know them afterwards either, but they matter all the same. And history is full of people whose influence was most powerful after they were gone. She also says, activists often speak as though the solutions we need have not yet been launched or invented as though we are starting from scratch, when often the real goal is to amplify the power and reach of existing options. What we dream of 
is already present in the world. We said this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done. Paul Goodman, the novelist and poet, famously wrote, suppose you uh, had the revolution that you're talking and dreaming about. Your kingdom come. Suppose your side has won and you had the kind of society that you wanted. Your kingdom come. How then would you live? you personally in that society well start living that way right now we have just sung the words of F.W. Faber for the love of God is broader than the limits of our mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. God of wide mercy, we lay down our burdens. We cross the Jesus threshold. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. door. We bring these our gifts of money, as we have brought our prayers and as we have brought ourselves, and ask that all be employed by you 
for the extension of that kingdom, the kingdom in which your mercy, grace, hope and love are experienced day by day into eternity. Amen. Our closing hymn is a golden oldie. I get told off sometimes for having too many things that people don't know. So a good oldie to finish with. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Please stand if you can as we sing. Apart from the everyday is ended. We must return through the open door to the everyday challenges of life. And as we go, we carry with us the light, life-giving burdens of God's love, the grace of Christ, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit. Every step of the way, 
now and always. Thank you.